0: This is the Embark Pod, a series by Embark Group, bringing together industry leaders and commentators to discuss and debate topics from across the industry. Now, today marks International Women's Day, and we're going to take an in-depth look at the gaps that remain in both women's representation within the advisory industry, and how that industry can be better targeted for women. Joining us today is Jackie Leeper, newly appointed CEO of Embark Group. And also Kate Webber, lead product manager for fund services at the Northern Trust Corporation and founder of Women in Asset Servicing. That's a networking group for women in the asset servicing sector with the aim to enable greater female representation in senior asset servicing positions. Welcome both of you. Uh, Let me begin then with some statistics. The Centre for Economics and Business Research says that by 2025, 60% of Britain's wealth will be in female hands. But according to Schroeder's, 2021 advisor survey, fewer than 7% of financial advisors have a differentiated sales and marketing strategy for female clients. The gender pension gap is a big worry, pretty startling actually. The latest Scottish Widows report says on average women retire with £100,000 less in their pension pots than men and of course because women can expect to live a longer retirement period, uh, they are hit effectively twice by this. Now, In the second half of our discussion, we're going to go on to talk about the separate but linked issues of female representation in the finance industry. They make up around 43% of the workforce but only 22% of executive committees and 32% of boards. A lot of statistics there. Let's look then first at the question of how to raise awareness amongst women, especially young women, about the importance of planning for retirement. Jackie, let me come to you and ask you, why is it important that we raise awareness amongst women around the importance of financial planning, particularly in relation to retirement?
1: Well, as you've just said, um, we've got a massive gap when women do actually reach retirement in terms of how much pension they've saved and therefore how much they can sustain themselves in retirement, especially given they live on average for ty- four years longer. And of course, the best time to start saving for retirement is actually when you start first start out on your career in your 20s, because you've got the benefit of compounding, where even the smaller contributions can really grow quite, quite significantly. And for women in particular, starting out early before they start taking time out for motherhood and career breaks and some of the things that really significantly disrupt women's ability to save for retirement is really crucial. Um, so, auto-enrollment, for example, in workplace pensions has been significant. It's brought much more women into the scope of retirement savings. However, women are still not saving enough, and they still, in those early years, um, tend to favour cash savings, immediate savings, over-long-term savings.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's the important point, is that there is a problem there. And your industry, I suppose, needs to be part of the solution to that so what is the role of the advisory community then in preparing uh, particularly young women I suppose to think about retirement Uh, can you do something to attract them to your services?
1: So I think um, there is lots you can do because it's it's actually an unintentional thing it's not that women don't want to take responsibility for their finances and in fact when you share some of the, the the sort of really startling statistics like we just started with You know, women are quite taken aback, actually, and think, oh, my goodness, I definitely don't want that to be to be me. So there's something about um, educating very early on, particularly when women are starting out in their careers around the choices they make, both in terms of the type of job, because part of this gap is actually to do with the gender pay gap and the types of roles that women go into. Uh, over men, so women are much more likely to go into sort of public sector roles, lower paid roles generally than than men. So it starts off there, but also I think um, finding the sort of right language and the right sorts of um, you know communications for women that women can relate to is quite important. So you know, you used a statistic around you know how many advisory firms actually tailor their approach to appeal to women very very few and in fact you get lots of stories even in you know for couples that go along to get financial advice where the advisor speaks to the man and assumes that the man is the decision maker um there's there's quite a lot to do really to try and just level up there and make things much more appealing and targeted to the situation that women are in. Do you
0: you think in a way perhaps Jackie that that actually this is going to be a a self-sorting problem because that that statistic i quoted about the amount of wealth that's going to be in female hands by by 2025 i mean that's simply going to mean that uh, the the financial industry has to take women more seriously doesn't it
1: It absolutely doesn't it because otherwise you're just missing out on a massive opportunity and you know and i i definitely think you're knocking on an open door so women are keen to get information they're keen to um have the right sort of products and propositions available to them And some of it really is about just, you know, intervening, nudging. If you think about the whole sort of evolution towards digital engagement, actually that works really well for for women, actually, because you're getting information to them at those key moments. I think one of the things um, that's maybe a bit more of a challenge and a drag on that is sort of structurally in the UK, we're still quite traditional and old-fashioned. You know, we do still have this situation where women assume that they should be the carers, that their jobs should take second place when they have a family. And, you know, childcare in this country is amongst the highest in the world. And that definitely rules a lot of women out of paid employment and full-time employment and can hamper their careers, which I think takes us on to your sort of secondary issue around how do you get women into the senior roles in these, these financial services firms and financial advisor firms?
0: Yeah, because, of course, inevitably, I mean, I'm going to come on to that. That will mean uh, inevitably that they have more money to do be both actors yeah. and facilitators, I suppose, at the same time. But let me, let me take you up on that point, because a lot of people, I think, Jackie, would say that the that people, that, that, that the climate has changed, that the women are now uh, expecting not to be pushed into the background of financial discussions. But you're suggesting it hasn't really changed that much.
1: I still don't think it has. I mean, about 85 to 90% of financial advisors are still men. So these are the, you know, that's the starting point rather than representing 50-50 of the gender split in society. Um, And I know from speaking to a young female who was a trainee financial advisor for a firm I won't mention, but, you know, a large financial advisor network, um, you know, she said to me, you know, we took 50 people on to this training programme. I was one of three women and the first piece of advice I got was to take up golf, because I was told that most you know business, good business is done on the golf course. Now, you know, I can assure you as a female myself, who likes to invest and have got financial advice, I would never expect to do that on the golf course. So, you know, addressing how we get better representation in the financial advisor community, to match the customer base that is now appearing, I think is really crucial. I think that's got to be the forward look for a lot of firms. You know, how do you make sure that you're serving all of the customers uh, and and in particular that you can match women with other women um, and, you know, with advisors that understand where women are coming from and the challenges that women face?
0: Yeah, well we are going to come on to the industry itself, I suppose, and in ways in which uh, we can improve representation there. But what about, let's focus in detail then on the pension gap, because that really is a very striking thing and it's going to be a huge problem going forward. Is there a kind of reluctance to think about pensions? Is it simply they don't have the disposable income to put into their pension at the right time? I mean, what are the fundamental problems of this?
1: Yeah, so so the fundamental problems are are partly Um, related to just the life journeys that women go on. So we started with the pay gap. So on average, women earn 50% less than men, um, you know, at the same age, which which in itself means that you're going to save less into your pension. But that's not the whole story because that 100,000 that you mentioned, you know, would say that men have got five times as much in their final pot as women when they reach retirement at 65. Um, So there's other things going on there, which are definitely around, just the sort of fragmented career paths that women tend to have, you know, so something like a whopping 60% of women who have a baby don't return to work full time. So working part time is great from perhaps a childcare perspective and work life balance, but it's absolutely horrific for your pension savings. And we, we did some calculations that showed you can't recover that actually, you'll never ever recover that lack of savings over that part time spell. And I would really like to see that information being really upfront and central to help women make informed choices so that when you decide with your partner that one of you is going to work part-time that you're thinking through the long-term implications and that not just the here and now and whether you can still afford to pay the mortgage and the child care costs. So that's one of the reasons. Um, I think the second things are around some of the other life events and you know, things like divorce um, and some of the situations where relationships break down, women do tend to come out of those situations and will trade off short-term things like staying in the house, again, splitting all of the assets fairly like the pension assets. Um, So there's quite a few complex things that sit behind that gender pensions gap. Um, and, And if there was a sort of positive in there, I would say we were looking at the research since auto enrollment came in 10 years ago and what that would show is that from a percentage of contributions perspective, women are paying in at the right percentage, particularly early on in their career compared to pre-auto-enrolment. So there are sort of green shoots there, but it really is around some of those key decisions the key life events that, that really needs to be better informed and, you know, for women to understand the long-term consequences. And if I just, if I may, I, I also want to touch on another statistic, which is, You know, even when you're in a sort of happy relationship um, and, you know, you're planning your finances together, we are seeing a trend that when men reach retirement and they select an annuity, married men, 70% of married men still purchase a single life annuity, just because the figure looks higher. Um, And given that women live longer and are more likely to be widowed, That's quite an alarming statistic and not great, really, for women's long-term financial resilience.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny how how the, the old patterns still are there. But let me pick up on one thing that I think, people listening to this might might be thinking alongside me I mean I, I'm speaking here to to of to very senior people within the finance industry even to talk about having to have a, a differentiated sales and marketing strategy for female clients isn't that just a tiny bit patronizing I mean women are a major force I'm mean, not as major as they should be but there's no reason why women have no you know should, should be treated differently is that
1: Yeah, I mean, I would never be expecting women to be treated differently. What I'm really talking about here, though, is is actually making sure. So things like if you're about to go on maternity leave, you should be able to find information about what your choices are and what the impact is on your pension. That information just doesn't exist because most of our product development and most of our senior roles are held by men. It doesn't occur to them that you might need to provide that information. Do you see what I mean? It's actually just more a rounding the service. And actually, what you'd really like to think is that in a modern society, like we see in some of the Scandinavian countries, that information would be equally interesting to both men and women who are thinking about how to raise their children together and share the the caring responsibilities. That's ultimately where I'm driving to. You know, how do you create some of this information? And it's actually equally applicable to both genders, and there's a proper levelling up.
0: Now, I mentioned that I was talking to two senior people from within the industry, and we've heard from Jackie, Embark CEO, but with me also is Kate Webber, who's Lead Product Manager, Global Fund Services, but also founder of Women in Asset Servicing. So let me bring you in on this, Kate, because we mentioned, and Jackie's hinted and talked about it herself, that the industry itself needs better representation with women in senior positions. With that in mind, just talk me through WIAS, what its idea is, it's working, what's
2: its success level. So women at asset servicing was set up about five years ago Um, and the aim of it was to help a broad section of women um, in our industry to to find what their career path was. So if you look at a lot of women's networks um, across a number of industries they're often set up for very senior women and my contention is that unless we get women who are in their 20s and 30s and encourage them to be braver encourage them to properly self assess their skills and encourage them to network they won't they won't get into the position of seniority so it's it's about how do we enable the next generation of women and some men to 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 create the best opportunities for themselves and often that involves Doing something that takes you out of your comfort zone. Um, and so what we've what we've seen is that women's that there are genuinely over the last decades, it's very different from when I started at work, but there is still a lot of um, there is still a lot less opportunities for women than potentially you would anticipate that there should be. And so, what we try to do is say, if we catch women when they're when they're much earlier on in their career, and help them to discover what their inhibitions are, what is what is stopping them from putting their hand up in team meetings to present, to to create sponsorship opportunities with senior managers, then um, their career path will be better and by the time we're in twenty thirty years time it won't be a question of having a very limited pool of people to choose from you will have that broad cross-section of individuals um, to choose who might be in Jackie's role in in 20 years time
0: well okay I mean you talk about people not wanting to maybe not wanting to put their hand up in meetings I mean, mm. is, this, is this because of a, a kind of pervasive I mean I'll use the term macho culture in the finance industry that's still there
2: um, I think it's actually bizarrely a little bit broader than just the financial services industry. Um, there are there are options where girls are brought up in different in a different way to boys across the whole of our society. Um, there was something that came out quite recently, actually Primark putting out logos on T-shirts and, and girls logos was being kind and perfect. And boys logos were, were all about taking risks. In in the workplace, you have to be able to take risks. You have to be able to feel comfortable in, your, in yourself sufficiently to take risks. And if we're bringing up our girls to be perfect, but our boys to take risks, then of course, we're setting our girls up to make it harder for them in an environment where perfection actually isn't what most employers are seeking. They're seeking people who are able to take to make judgments, to take risks and to do things that they're a little bit more uncomfortable.
0: Is it also true to say, and I, I have seen this being written about in, in newspapers, that the pandemic effect, the, the working from home experience that most of us have had, mm-hmm. is actually something that that can be quite damaging, particularly for young women in the workplace, that it's actually not something that's going to help with what you're talking about.
2: But I personally feel it's actually damaging for all the young people in the workplace. Um, if I think about, if we think about our, 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 the the success of human beings, we are successful not because we have a bigger brain. We don't. We ha- we are successful because the bra- the way that our brain works in collaboration, we have a collective brain, so to speak. And what the pandemic has done, as is it it has inhibited a lot of those opportunities for businesses to bring collections of individuals together to create that collective brain. And for young people in particular, being in rooms with older individuals who have got a broader spectrum of experience in that particular area, that enables them to, from nudge, from, from watching what's happening, to be able to understand how they can develop their career. You don't learn from supermodels you learn from role models and those role, role models you pick up little tiny pieces of people all the way through and you pick it up better um, in person than you do over video i find it very difficult to have one-to-one conversations and really dig into what is holding somebody back within their career on video because you lose a large amount of what 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 is important when you communicate with somebody
0: Jackie, let me bring you back in at this point, because I mean you are Embark CEO, you have risen very high in this world. Was it a very difficult uh, path? I mean, I suppose that your senior part of the path didn't happen uh, during, well, well, a lot of it hasn't happened during the pandemic. But overall, looking back, has it been harder, do you think, for you to rise to this position than would have been the case for a man?
1: Uh, do you know, I think it probably has. I've never sat and reflected on it or, you know, at any point, uh, you know, felt sorry for myself. But I remember my boss saying to me um, when I was taking the show. he said to me, you know, it's probably been twice as hard for you compared to some of the men. So he was acknowledging that to me. And I, and that's the first time I'd actually really ever reflected because, you know, my husband and I, we shared all of the caring responsibilities. We've got three children and when they were younger, I have to tell you, it was pretty difficult. You know, I I remember feeling at times you were in a little vice, you know, everything felt time poor, you know, that you were never quite doing if any job good enough. You know, your job during the day felt constrained, your 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 sort of job as a mother felt constrained. And those are quite difficult challenges, I think, for most people when you're juggling sort of your your career and your home life and your family. Um, but I remember probably about sort of 10 years ago, feeling um, this sort of imposter syndrome, never feeling that I was good enough to take the next step up, you know, that sort of real confidence crisis. Um, And my way of working through that was just to work harder and, you know, almost work twice as hard to prove myself and prove that I could uh, take on a bigger role and I could uh, perform at the same level as, as the men in the team. Um, that that was always my way of thinking about it. I never ever thought about it as a sort of victim, I, I, if you like.
0: Kate, I mean, have you ever found your path blocked or made more difficult by people because you're a woman? Have you have you had that experience?
2: Um, no, not particularly. But I very early on decided that I wasn't necessarily just looking for role models who were women. I, I, um, I've been very lucky to find a lot of positive male sponsors throughout my career. And that's really, really how a lot of women of our generation have managed to get to where we are. We're good at our jobs, but also we are supported by men of our generation to get where where we want to be. And and I think those men are often downplayed. I think the other thing that's happened is that there there is a nice part of there's less of us at senior positions. So we do these days get much more of a voice than we did before. That's not to say I haven't been in rooms where I am the only woman out of 25 other people. And you do feel a bit, or you just feel a bit different, but um, you just have to grit your teeth and get on with it. But it's not for everybody. And, and happily, I think that's, that is changing. We're seeing organisations where DE&I in financial services is incredibly important and it's important because businesses are recognizing the value of diverse teams that it actually helps them to create better outcomes for their clients and so i think if you if you see this as a really long game if you see where women started to have the vote right the way up to where we are 100 plus years later um we're going to have another 100 years of slow evolution i suspect i think the world i think it was one of the big economic forums said that and i can't remember which one it was it's, i think it's another 135 years before women get gender pay parity that's ridiculous i think it's the world economic forum
0: yeah D- 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 i think D- i remember it being part of that um it did actually an extraordinary text isn't it I mean, and, and, and actually let me pick you up on, on the point that you mentioned about the client because where we came into all this was say, actually, better representation in the industry would make it easier and and perhaps more effective in terms of giving your product and encouraging your product to be used amongst female clients. That's true, isn't it, Kate?
2: Absolutely. If you pick up the point that Jackie made about women pensions and maternity leave, that is fundamental. So if we started to create products that aren't about pink washing but instead actually understand the world in which women inhabit, then we create better outcomes. There's a fabulous book that I read. I'm a massive reader. It's called Invisible Women, and it's by a lady called Caroline Perez. It's worth a read just to start to understand the world in which we live. And if we then apply that to financial services and financial services as a product manager myself, how do I create products that are broader, than just, okay, this is what my client looks like and my client looks like an amorphous bloke. Because none of us, n- nobody is like that. And 50.1% of the population aren't even that gender. So we, we have to build products which are broader, which are appeal to a much wider community. And we have to do that now because women are outliving their husbands. And we're finding a lot of women are choosing to change advisor within a year of their partner's death that's quite significant that's not about women creating money that's that's money in advisory firms today
0: yeah it's it's, it's quite all it's very startling evidence all around which actually finally let me let me bring you in i mean down with amorphous blokes obviously but is this an industry that can change enough to meet these challenges both internally and to the client that we've been talking about
1: I definitely think we can. I think we are starting to see that already. You you know, women are now gaining confidence and starting to increase their influence, you know, whether that's in executive committees, into jobs that probably were dominated previously by, by men, you know, so in the distribution and relationship teams. Um, so I think all the green shoots are there. Um, I think there is still some work to do to encourage women to think about you know, financial services as a career and some of these non-conventional options in their head, you know, I don't think women would immediately think I could go and be a financial advisor uh, or I could go and work in, you know, the finance team in a big provider firm, you know, they they, they generally will, will move towards the sort of HR, the risk, those sorts of functions. So I still think there's a little bit to sort of dispel the myths um and i think it shows when you start to see mixed teams you know my current exec team and the team that i'm in myself is is almost 50 50. um and and just the whole dynamic of that is very very different to when i first joined it and i was the only female
0: yeah hope for the future that's exactly. a good- on which to to end uh, this uh, episode of the Embark pod. My thanks to Embark Group CEO, Jackie Leeper, and also to Kate Webber, lead product manager global fund services, and significantly, of course, the founder of Women in Advisory Services And this discussion about the role of women inside the industry, but also the appeal of the industry in taking on female clients and how it has to change. Thanks to both of you for a fascinating discussion. I'll be back with more episodes of Embark Pod. I'm Roger Hearing. For now, thanks for listening, and goodbye.